Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. I want to welcome you who are online and have listened in via the King's Cast on your uh, on your iTunes. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight is going to springboard us into just having a look around the book of Hebrews this morning, just for a short time, as we talk about the 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 theme of serving God, serving the Lord. There's all kinds of stages that. Um, Christians go through in their development in walking with Jesus, isn't there? There's believing, <laughs> uh, then there is joining a church, it's all part of uh, the maturing process, and uh, worshipping him, understanding more about him, learning about him. All these things are part of our journey as believers in Jesus Christ. But serving God is, is part of that journey as well. And so I want to uh, share for a few minutes this morning just on the whole theme about serving God. And my, I guess my aim is that those who hear me today will know a bit more about serving God from a biblical perspective and maybe also be encouraged to serve God more. And uh, uh, people are on all kinds of places on that journey. Some become Christians and immediately they are moved to begin to serve the Lord and serve the local church. Others seem to be 20 years in church, uh, maybe more. And the the whole concept of serving or working uh, has not quite happened for them. And it baffles me as to why, but, uh, but I, I just accept the status quo that that is the case sometimes. May these words maybe encourage us today. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, a great verse, one for the fridge door, says this, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor or your work in the Lord is not in vain. Let's just read that, that key part again. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. There's so much here. Before we get into Hebrew, let me just, so much it. You give yourself to the work of the Lord. It's voluntary. You give yourself to the work of the Lord. One or two people, of course, end up being paid to serve the Lord. People like me and one or two others. But it doesn't begin like that for sure. And most people, that will not be the case. We give ourselves to the work of the Lord. And twice the word work features there. Uh, because we know that our work, our labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
uh, recently we were reading the book of Hebrews. And so I want you to go over to Hebrews chapter 13. And we're going to just have a look around in the book of Hebrews today. And I want to bring you four, uh, four little components that from, just from the book of Hebrews alone, describe the work of the Lord. Describe what it is to serve the Lord. And some of them are attractive to us, and others of them are less so, but they're all in the Bible. Can you say amen? Yeah. The first one, what principles of serving God and man are found in the epistle to the Hebrews? The first one is in chapter 13 and verse 17. Chapter 13 and verse 17, where the word of God says this, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Uh, Some of you will know that for many years, six years uh, or so, I played a part in this, this particular area here of East Anglia where I was a bit of a, a bit of a troubleshooter, I suppose. And, uh, that isn't what it was supposed to be, but that's sort of what it ended up being. And just going where there are churches where there was trouble, either trouble in the church or trouble with the pastor or financial trouble or legal trouble or morality issues, all sorts of things like that. And, uh, I had to go and, try and sort it out. And I you know, often thought I could barely you know, sort out the washing up at home. How am I going to sort out churches? But anyway, the Lord helped me. And, uh, but very often I found churches where the people thought that if they gave their leaders more burden, it would be of an advantage to them. It's very interesting. And the Bible says it is not an advantage to burden the leaders through causing trouble and things like this. But the word I want to pick up on, first of all here, in thinking about the work of serving God, and here we have it in the context of of the leaders of these Hebrews, but it's still the same across the board, whatever your role in serving God is going to be, is that it can be burdensome. That's the first thing. Serving God can be burdensome. And there is a sense in which, listen to me really carefully, because today I'm going to tell you the truth. It's supposed to be a bit burdensome. Serving God is supposed to be a bit burdensome. We read in that previous verse, he said, always give yourselves fully to the what of the Lord? The work of the Lord. The work of the Lord. He said, because your labor, which is the same word, uh, 
erga in Greek, the, 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 the work of the Lord is not going to be in vain. Now what's really interesting is, from time to time you meet Christians who want God to use them. They really want to be used by God. But what they don't want is to do any work. And I want to say, first of all here today, when we're thinking about serving God, is that serving God is a, an act of work. It is an act of labor. It's something that you have to do. Serving God is not about one day, somewhere, I will preach in the middle of the town and everyone will get saved. Serving God is not one day, somewhere, the Lord will give me a prophecy and I will deliver it and it will be accurate. Serving God is not one day, somewhere, fire will come on my hands and I will place them upon a wheelchair-bound person and they will leap up and be healed. As though we were all heading towards like these high notes in our lives. And so somewhere out there, the big moment is coming. And I want to say to you that if you want a big moment, you can have it anytime you want. As long as your perspective changes. Because God may well one day cause you to preach in the middle of the town and everyone gets saved. That may well be something that might happen for you. But don't think that that day is any sense more important than being on the T-rotor. Don't think that preaching is somehow more important than hoovering. You are someone who shows up to church, sits down and finds that someone cut their nails last week during church. And you ask them what's more important, the singing or the hoovering, they'll tell you. They'll tell you. You ask a guy who's desperate for, you know, a cup of tea at the end of the meeting, what's more important... The guy on the drums or the guy pouring the drinks, he'll tell you what's more important. He'll tell you. And the truth is that all of these things are important. It's good to have preachers. It's good to have musicians. It's good to have prophets and apostles. But don't think for one moment that that is the work of the Lord. It isn't. It's just part of the work of the Lord. But actually, we're supposed to work for the Lord. And I want to say again, there are lots of people who want God to use them, but as soon as it feels like work, they don't want to do it. And I want to tell you this, the people that God uses today, sometimes in sensational ways, I want to assure you of this, they began the process by embracing the burden. I can think of an illustration. You imagine someone leaps up and says, you know what? I'd like to, I'd like to run a group. I'd like to run, let's say, a ladies group. Or let's say, I'd like to run a house group that they have in some, some churches, don't they? I want to run a group. 
And so they come and they get prayer and they get all excited. Oh, it's, it's fabulous. I'm going to run a group. And God's showing me what to teach and what to do and who to invite. And in the first five minutes, it's really exciting. But come and see them ten months later. Ten months later, they are out of Bourbon creams. Ten months later, all these funny people are coming around to my house now. Ten months later, they're getting annoyed because Millie was supposed to bring the milk and she hasn't. (laughs) Ten months later, and someone, I remember going to a ladies' house group maybe 20 years ago. We sat on this very posh settee. And what I didn't know was that as I sat on it, someone had put a cup of coffee in the chair. And as I sat on it, I didn't even notice, it tipped, thank God, because God loved me, it went the other way. (laughs) Otherwise, I might have sat there thinking, I got some medical problem here. (laughs) And as I got up, at the end of the evening, an hour and a half later, there it was, this great stain on this lady's settee. That was a totally different anointing on her that moment than when she said, I'll have the group in my house. And I'm really sorry I did that. Clearly, I still feel guilty about it today. It's coming out. This is therapy for me. You can go home. I'll just talk to the walls. (laughs) The work of God is a burden. Now, what do we mean by a burden? Well, hopefully we don't mean a crushing weight that we cannot carry. But it is a weight. A burden means that we have a duty. Not a real, not a real popular word in Christian circles in the early 21st century. It means we have a duty. It means we have a responsibility. It's a burden, which means that if it's fun or not so fun, we're still going to do it. It means that if we're enjoying it to the full, or if we're not enjoying it so much, we're still going to do it. You say, well, didn't Jesus want to take all my burdens away? Not all of them, no. Not all of them. Paul in 2 Corinthians writes about his trouble being shipwrecked and in the sea and whipped and beaten up and not having enough food. And then he finishes it by saying, but the biggest problem I've got is the daily burden of all the churches. He carried a burden. Now, here's the, here's the clue. Jesus wants to not only give you a burden, but help you carry it. And so we're going to carry it with him. He's going to carry it. We're going to carry it. But we are going to carry something. So the first thing I want to say to you today, about serving God is that it is a burden. It can be burdensome work to do. If God calls you as an evangelist, sometimes you want to go out and talk, sometimes you won't. If God calls you to lead something, sometimes there'll be nothing on the telly you want to watch and sometimes there will. Sometimes you'll be full of the joys of spring, whatever that means. And other times you'll be tired. But if you are serving God, you'll be there. 
And uh, as I say, as I've traveled around the churches the last six years, I've heard all sorts of stories about people who said they would do something, but then three months later, it wasn't so exciting anymore, so they stopped. And that's not the kind of disciples we want to be. So the first thing is, it can be burdensome. It means we are carrying something. There's a responsibility. It's work. But we mustn't think that that is not serving God. It is. Don't look for some high moments where you can write a blog about. Many of the great things that are happening right now in the kingdom of God all over the world are people making tea, cleaning tables, hoovering up, setting out seats, fiddling with sound cables. Boy, oh boy, how many churches are there in the world today? How many sound men are there in the world today fiddling with a cable and not having a clue why it's working or why it didn't work? Millions of them. And it's not any more impressive or less impressive to God than the man who lays his hands upon the blind and, they, and the eyes open. To God it's the same. Let's look to be servants. Number two, it is gentle. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 5. The work of God is something we do with a gentle spirit, and I'll explain. Hebrews 5, verse 2 is what we want to look at, but let's look at verse 1. Hebrews 5, talking about the high priest. Now, once again, there are no high priests now. So we're just drawing a principle that can be a blessing to you, a blessing to me, as we think about serving God. The writer of the Hebrews says this, Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Verse 2 is what I want to look at. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. The second thing I want to say about serving God is that it is a human to human job. It is a human to human job. It is gentle. I think that's wonderful news. I'll tell you why. Because it means that you don't have to have everything sorted out for you to help someone else. Have you ever sat and try to witness to a friend. And you said to them something like this. Well, God wants you to turn away from your sins. Or turn away from the things in your life that you know are wrong. And you're dreading what they might say. Because they might say this to you. Well, have you turned away from all your sins? Do you think, oh Lord, please don't let them ask that question. Because what would you have to say? No, I have not. And you'll, you'll give them a bit of flannel, you know, like, well, you know, my heart wants to. And at the moment, yours doesn't. But if you receive Jesus, you will. 
Now, if they receive Jesus, they'll be a bit of a failure just like you are. But you see, God loves people who are a bit of a failure. That's all part of this deal of grace we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember times in my early years when people would come to me for advice, just new in the ministry, you know. And people would, you know, ask me advice about big problems they had in their life. And I used to look at them thinking, actually, I've got the same problem as you. And anything, do I tell them? Do I tell them that I've got the same problem as them? Or do I try to keep it quiet? Because I thought, if I tell them that I'm actually a human and not sat at the left hand of God the Father, they might not want to ask my advice about anything anymore. I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for me. I'm finding it hard to read the Bible at the moment. And I'm thinking, I'm finding it hard to read the Bible at the moment. I've been stuck in lamentations for the whole of April. Brother Peter, I'm reading the book of Leviticus. What does it mean? I do not know. Not like you want me to know. Ministering to people, serving God and serving man is a human to human thing. God is using his spirit and God has decided the way that he's going to minister to the human race is not through angels, but through people. And the Bible says this about the high priest. It says that he's able to do the job because he is frail. That's his qualification to do the job. His frailty, his weakness, his, his bad track record. It's an amazing idea. Now thank God for the great high priest. Amen. Come on, the great high priest. Who did not need to offer sacrifices for sins. He himself was the sacrifice. Because he had committed no sin. But you're not like that. You're not like that. I told the story many, many times. But it will bet repetition just once more. Of traveling all around South America. And we were being taken to these big, you know, some of these big venues and uh, miracles. Uh, I'm talking to miracles every single day. It does something to you, by the way, to see miracles, like 20 to 30 miracles every day. And it amazed me that I'd seen all these extraordinary things. That I was still going back to the hotel late, looking for my tablets for my problem. And sometimes I would, you know... Pretend I was Reinhard Bonke or something and say, Jesus heals. And as I'm saying that, I can hear my tablets rattling in my pocket here. <laughs> How many of these can I take? Oh, take two a day. I've got to believe God and take three. <laughs> I'm not recommending that medically. 
You don't have to be God to be God's messenger. You don't have to have got everything sorted out to serve God. Now, if, if a man or a woman lives in a certain way that is absolutely contrary to God's word, of course, certain avenues of service are not open to them. Because we want to have integrity. Can you say amen? We want to have integrity. So there is a line. There is a standard. And there is a place to say, look, until you've sorted this out, this major problem you've got, perhaps you shouldn't be serving in this high-profile way. And I believe in the integrity of the ministry. I wouldn't have anyone serve with me in a big way unless I knew who they were, really knew who they were. To know that they're not a sham. They're not just gifted. Because how many of you know Samson was gifted, but he brought the whole temple down? But let's remember, it's human to human. That's what serving God is about. It's not about being God. It's about being yourself. Able to help people because you have a sober view of yourself. I've never sat in a counseling session and harshly rebuked anybody. Ever. It's not just because I'm generally polite and sweet. It's because I know I know that I myself haven't got everything sorted out. Number three. Number three. It should inspire others to have faith. Let's go back to Hebrews 13. The words are on the screen, but it's good for you to see it in your Bible. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Once again here the context is leaders, but it applies to all of us. He says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. You know what's really funny? I know I shouldn't say this. Um, shall I say it? Are you sure? Well, you remember, it was you who asked me. What's really funny is, you get, you know, people and they, uh, especially if they're like preachers in church or something, and they've got a favorite preacher. And you see, slowly but surely, they start to imitate that preacher. You know? Like they're 20 stone, but the preacher they really like is only 11 stone but they wear a white suit anyway. And people imitate the people they like. I'm telling you. <laughs> One young man goes to a church, he gets saved. When he went to the church, it spoke completely normally. He would say, hello, my name is Marcus, would you like a cup of tea? 
Five years in that church, he walks around. Hiya. <laughs> My name is Marcus. <gasps> you think, where's he been? Now look, I don't mind the preachers talking like that. As long as they talk like that at home. I don't mind him talking like that as long as when he goes home, he says to his, let's imagine his wife's called Angela. Hiya, Angela. Ooh, I had such a time in the parking lot. I don't mind him running around with a sweat cloth as long as he does it at home. Ooh, I felt that. Years ago, I had a friend who, um, at the end of the f- every sentence, at the end of every sentence, she said this, do you know what I mean? Every sentence, do you know what I mean? Anyway, the, the, M, the M11 was, was bumpered and bumper. do you know what I mean? And I pulled in, we went to the new McDonald's on New Market Road, do you know what I mean? And every now and then, I just wanted to say, yes, I know what you mean. (laughs) And then after knowing her for a few months, it got in my mouth, you know. (laughs) And I said, oh, we're going up to the McDonald's on Newmarket Road. Do you know the one I mean? Dear, dear. What happened to our dear friend Nathan Morris? I'm sure he's from Yorkshire. But he doesn't sound like he's from Yorkshire anymore. Been in America for a few, a few months. I was listening to him. I thought it was, I thought it was, I thought it was Barack Obama on the, uh, on the TV. <laughs> now we imitate one another. But this is what you're supposed to do. When you see someone who inspires you, you're supposed to imitate their faith. Not their way of life. Not maybe their style. And I want to ask you this. Whose faith are you imitating? Who? You know, somebody said this. We're all following somebody. There's no such thing as someone who's not following anybody. There's no such thing. We're all, and I don't mean on Twitter now. By the way, the other day I had a thing come up on my um, on my uh, computer. Philip Shaw wants to follow me on Twitter. I'm thinking about it, Phil. It means I can't work my iPad yet, mate. No, we're all following somebody. You're following somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean. You're following someone. Who are you following? But more importantly, are you following the outcome of their faith? But let me just turn the tables now. It means this. If we're going to be a people who serve God, the one thing that people are supposed to look at us and want is our faith. Not our knowledge. Some people are smart. Some people have got a high IQ and others have not. 
Some people are very eloquent and can speak. Others cannot. Some people have the time to study something and really know about it and others just don't have it. Some people have got money and others do not. And all these things shape our lives in some way. But here's the wonderful thing. The thing that God wants you to have that he wants other people to be envious of is faith. It's the one thing that Satan wants to steal from you more than anything else. More than anything else. Simon, Simon, said Jesus to Peter one day, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, he said, that your faith may not fail. So then we discover, what does it mean? Satan wanted to sift them as wheat. It meant that he was coming to steal their faith away. We should be people of faith. People who have faith about them. Not, I don't mean a belief. Because you know, don't you, that faith and a belief are two different things. Faith. A faith that says, no matter what's going on, actually, I'm going to be okay. I tell you, if you can walk into work this afternoon, tomorrow morning, Tuesday afternoon, whenever it is, And if you can have that coming out of you, coming out of your pores. Well, how was your weekend? Actually, it was terrible. The car broke down. I'm feeling terrible pain in my leg, whatever it may be. But you can have an optimism in God that says, but I know that God is going to make everything okay. I tell you, people will be attracted to you. Part of serving God is having faith to impart to others, not through the laying on of hands, but through your life. That everywhere you go, you're a person who says, God's in control. And you don't have your fingers behind your back like this crossed, but you mean it. So I want to tell you today, listen, God's in control. God is in control. Let him sit in the driving seat and your life will go just fine. It'll go just fine. So this third element of serving God is that by serving God, we've talked about it being a labor, a work, a commitment, a burden, something we have to do, something we have to get involved with. We've talked about it being something human. We're supposed to be gentle, supposed to be like Christ, sober-minded. Number three, we're supposed to be a people of faith. And finally, it's something that God sees. What are you going to wrote? Uh, uh, Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6 verse 10. Just finishing with this. Serving God is something that God sees. God is not unjust, Hebrews 6 verse 10. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him 
as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Wow, we could preach all day on that verse, couldn't we? See all that stuff in there? But God is not unjust. He won't forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Someone who was helping and continuing to help had understood the burden, had understood the duty, had understood the sense of being connected, serving and working. They'd they'd understood that. And as they'd helped people, they had shown their humanity. I'd like to think they expressed and were admired for their faith as well. But here comes the final part, just from Hebrews as we've been looking around, is this, that God sees it all. God sees it all. There are times when you'll, you will serve this church and I won't know anything about it. Won't know anything about it. I won't have the opportunity to come and say thank you to you, even if that was something that you particularly wanted, because maybe I wouldn't even know that you'd done it. And the, and the other way around. Things that go on and we don't maybe notice everything that everybody does. It's not malicious, but it's just, just real life, I think. It just happens. But for everyone who has served, I want to thank you today. And uh, I, want to be, I want God to remind me to always be thankful. Thank you to everyone who serves this church. Thank you to everyone who volunteers as a steward, who serves us making drinks and cleaning up. We are a team. And I say it again that one person is not more important than, than, than any other. I tell the stewards on a regular basis that actually, stewards, you're more important sometimes than the, than the speaker is because you're the first person they see. It's not Bill Gates who's going to sell me a computer. It's the guy from Computer World. The guy from Computer World is Microsoft to me. It's not Henry Ford who's going to sell you that car. It's Derek from down the garage. He is Ford in that moment of time. And we can be the face of God, you see. So I want to thank everyone who who serves. People who sometimes tidy up the garden here. Do, just do things around the place. Some of you have been doing it for years. I want to tell you this. There are times where maybe I have not noticed it. There's been one who has. And that's always going to be the case. God says this to them. He says this. I'm watching you. I'm watching you. I watch everything you do. Now, sometimes we don't want God to say that to us. But when it comes to helping God's people, 
and helping people. Jesus says this, if you do it for the very least, you're doing it for me. God doesn't just see our work, he receives it. And he will reward us. He says, he won't forget your work. And the love you have shown him as you have helped people. Let me finish with this. Here we have a description of what it is to love God. Can you see that on the screen? What it is to love God. And what it is, is to help people. And to continue to help them. You can't obey the first commandment without keeping the second, can you? Both have to work together. So friends, let's serve the Lord together. Mindful that God sees it all. And as we continue to help people, we continue to glorify his name. Thank you for all of of you who've given time to help people rebuild their homes. Some of you have taken shopping to others. Some of you know what it is to pick someone up for church on a regular basis. Thank you, thank you. And when they say to you, you're not going out of your way, are you? And you lie to them every week, you go, oh no. (laughs) You liar! But a godly lie, if there's such a thing. You You know what I mean. It's called going the extra mile. Thanks to everyone who handles chairs, fiddles with cables, shows up early and goes home late. And I've got a word for you from the Lord. It's this. He sees it all. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.